0: Holy Father, we thank you for this, uh, this glorious day, this day, Father, which, uh, when Jesus rose from the grave, changed everything uh, in history, everything in every life, everything, Father, in our lives. We thank you for this day in which we can come and celebrate together and, and raise our voices together in glorious praise of you who, ha- who has, through your Son, Jesus Christ, taken our sin away. And, Father, giving us that great gift of eternal life by your grace. Father, we pray this day that as we sing and worship that our hearts would be filled with your peace. And, Father, that we would go out rejoicing and sharing the good news that Christ indeed is risen this day. In his glorious name we pray, and amen.
1: Good Good morning. Will you join me for our prayer for guidance, please? Lord, open our hearts and our minds. By the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Lo, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Hail! And they came back and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ron. As we uh, read the gospel accounts, such as the one Ron just read out of Matthew about the resurrection, it's very clear that the resurrection is a uh, primary, it, it comes at the end of the Gospels. It's the primary uh, goal of everything that's happening: is for Jesus uh, to live that life, to teach those teachings, to die on that cross, and to be raised from the grave. We can't leave Jesus in the grave and be a people of faith. And as we go all through the uh, uh, the New Testament, it is obvious that to the disciples and to those who were inspired to write down the words of the New Testament. That the resurrection was central to the Christian faith. And yet this week I saw an article that said that the majority of people who say they are Christians in England do not believe the resurrection happened. Uh, we interviewed someone for uh, uh, ordination this past year. And in their paper that they wrote, they said that the resurrection was just a metaphor. Just a metaphor. It didn't actually happen. Uh, that person has to come back in May uh, to, uh, uh, with a five-page paper explaining what they meant by that. Uh, we're trying for clarification. It's pretty clear what they meant. But in order to be ordained in the United Methodist Church, you must believe in the physical resurrection. Now, I could go through numerous uh, scriptures uh, in, the, in the New Testament talking about the resurrection, about how in the book of Acts that they proclaimed, uh, that God had indeed raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, This same Jesus whom you crucified has now been raised. This is central to our faith. And yet as I was reading this account this week, from Matthew 28, 1-10, through 10, as the women go to the grave, you realize they are going to the grave to put perfumes on the body to do the things that are traditional in their faith, what you do for a dead body. They did, not, they did not go with the expectation that the tomb would be empty and that Jesus would be raised from the dead. And that caused me to think a little bit about every other disciple that we read about in the New Testament and the reaction to that empty tomb. And it is clear that none of them believed that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead despite the fact of several times that he told them that in three days I will be raised from the dead, that I will leave that tomb. And yet none of them seemed to believe that that is going to happen. That caused me to ask a question. Why Would that happen? I was contemplating that the other night as I drove home from our Monday-Thursday service, and I pulled into our driveway, and Lydia had backed in, and she had her lights on. Now, our driveway is a treacherous thing. If Gail Smith were here, I think she may be in the next service, but but Gail knows she's just about driven off that driveway, and it's a couple-foot drop. From there. So, it, and, and I've got parking blocks all along it, but uh, uh, the other day I knocked one off and I had to get down and pick that thing up. Great for my back. And I'm pulling in there and Lydia has those bright lights on and I'm like, well, I can't even see where I'm going to park now off to the side here. Why doesn't she turn those off? So I cut my lights off. Nothing happened. I, I turned them back on and you know I, I went to high beam and back and forth. Trying to get her attention to say, could you turn the lights off? I can't see. Nothing happens. I'm getting frustrated with this. Frustrated with my wife. What kind of wife would just sit there in the car with the lights on? (laughs) Some of you all may have figured out what was going on and how stupid I really am. Because my wife was not in the car. She was in the house. And for some reason, she had the Honda Civics lights. You know, you can change the amount of time that they remain on. They were on for a long time, and I'm sitting there just stewing. I never expected that she was going to be out of that car. And when I got, finally, they went off, I park, and I go over to the car to say, what are you doing sitting there, running down the battery? And I realized she wasn't there. That's much the reaction that we get in these stories here, is that the people had no idea that Jesus was gone, even when they saw the empty tomb They didn't know what had happened. When the women run to the apostles, uh, to the disciples, to say to them, the tomb is empty, they don't run saying, Jesus is risen. They run to the disciples to see if the disciples have an answer as to why it's empty. And the first real responses they have is that someone has stolen the body. What have you done with our Master? And it isn't until Peter and John go down uh, down to the tomb... And Peter first goes in and it says that John goes in and he believes. That's the first moment where they actually, there's any evidence that the disciples are believing that Jesus is risen from the dead. So my question this week was, why did they not believe him? They had seen him do all these miracles and so many great things. And and, and what finally came to me was we have to focus on the crucifixion here. How... Truly traumatic it must have been, far more traumatic than what we portray in our you know on Monday Thursday, you know we try to in different ways, interpret the suffering that Jesus went through, what that night must have been like, and I thought it was so traumatic that they had entirely lost any sense of faith in what was to come. For them, Jesus was defeated. There could be no other explanation. I mean, think about it for a moment. Betrayed by one of his disciples, one of those closest to him. Arrested and led away. Denied by his closest disciple, Peter, three times. He is whipped, he is mocked. Yet they put a sign over him that says, Jesus, King of the Jews, is a way of saying to the Jewish people, the Romans saying to the Jewish people, yeah, this is the kind of king you get. We have Caesar. This is what you get. A common Galilean. Look at the swollen face, for, you know, the bruises. Look at the, at the, uh, at the scars on, on this man. Look at the blood coming off of him. This is your king. And the disciples are looking at this, and all they see is defeat. Absolute, total defeat. And Jesus Christ, in whom they had put all their faith, now was gone. And that's all they could figure. That's all that had happened. Now, I'm going to jump a little bit here to science which, if you know me at all, I have a great interest in science, but very little aptitude for understanding it. But this past week, for the first time, an image, a photograph, was accomplished of a black hole. This, folks, is a black hole. 1915, Albert Einstein comes up with his theory of relativity, publishes it, he himself said, While my theory of relativity says that these things probably exist, I absolutely find it hard to believe. Einstein doubted that these things actually existed, except that his theory said they should. And what that is, that that point of singularity where everything is just compressed into one single point. And it would take something like a star imploding upon itself to create the gravitational pull to pull light and everything else into it. And so what you have here, what you are actually seeing, is the, uh, is the event horizon where everything is coming towards that point of singularity, that point where gravity is so strong that it's going to be sucked into it. Even light gets sucked into it and is compressed in so you no longer see that light. So what you see there is a black hole. And when the disciples went to the tomb and they saw that empty tomb, all they saw was a black hole. But here's the difference. That kind of reminds me of a a tomb. But the tomb of Jesus Christ was indeed surrounded by glory. The tomb of Jesus Christ, empty, meant that we, rather than being sucked into death, we were freed to life, eternal life. And so I thought about this week, what it must have meant to them to suddenly have that comprehension, to have the the blinds removed from their eyes and to be able to see what this really meant. He is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. And to go ahead and to spend their lives proclaiming it. Uh, Charles Colson of Watergate fame uh, was in prison for his role in the cover-up in in Watergate. Uh, uh, Some of you were around when that happened. Uh, it, it actually uh, the resignation of Nixon hap, President Nixon happened the same month that Lydia and I got married. Most of you remember the Watergate thing and the resignation more than our anniversary, but uh, Charles Colson was one of about a dozen men who were implicated in the cover up There were others who were. Uh, arrested and implicated in other ways, but about a dozen men implicated in the cover-up. And Charles Colson goes to prison, and there he is converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And you'll may you know, you'll see him quite often on television and on the radio programs, and he's talking about this uh, this faith that he attained. And one of the things he has said is that the reason he can believe the resurrection really happened is because he knew what it was like to have a dozen men try to keep their story straight, and within four weeks, all their stories had broken apart. That none of them could hold that story together for four weeks in that cover-up. And yet, here come the disciples. If this was some kind of great uh, uh, prank that they were playing on the world, for some reason, for the rest of their lives, they held to the same story over and over that Jesus Christ had been raised from the tomb. No one ever broke down and said, hey, we just got together and decided it was a great story. We just decided it would bring us fame. we, We decided it would allow us to write the Gospels and our names would live forever. Nobody said there was any motive behind this other than the fact that they absolutely believed that this happened. And they were willing to suffer for it and to die for it. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And we live in an age where more and more, earlier I mentioned that, uh, that most Christians in England don't believe in the resurrection. The story has been for, for hundreds of years that somehow the resurrection makes no sense. It's impossible. There'll be people who say, I don't believe in miracles. I believe in science. I believe in the laws of nature. You know, at one time, the laws of nature were proclaimed to be what? The Newtonian laws. Primarily. And then Einstein comes along and his theory of relativity contradicts some of those laws. It, 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 it changes everything. And then, uh, more recently, you could read, our, I have a copy of Discover magazine from 2010, and scientists are saying that they're beginning to wonder if there are any absolute laws of nature. Because as they look at the theory of relativity, as they look at the idea of parallel universes and black holes and string theory and everything else, it seems like there could just be a lot of universes with a lot of different laws in place and things going on. And so why couldn't the God of all of these universes, the God of all creation, reach down into our world and change something that seems natural to us? Death seems natural. But God said... No problem. No sweat. I can overturn that. And he did. I am fascinated by the way science today allows for much of what people used to say was impossible. Fascinated by that. And we as Christians more than ever should be able to believe from a reasonable logical standpoint that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That he defeated death and he came out of that tomb. More and more, the word of God makes sense. I'm going to uh, uh, just share with you a few of the scriptures that I referred to a minute ago about resurrection. Jesus said to her, this is in John 11, he says to to the uh, uh, woman at the well, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The question is always not whether will you hear this, but do you believe this? And notice in Matthew 28, 1 through 10, how many times the angels say to the women, you need to see this. Go and tell the disciples that you have seen this. Christianity is historically based. It's based on fact and it's based on what we can see with our own human eyes. God isn't asking us to believe anything that we cannot see. And then in Acts chapter 4, it says, the the earliest days of the church, it says, with great power the apostles continued to testify to what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. 1 Peter Peter writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through the resurrection. Not through our good works, not through belonging to the right church, not through having some special inside relationship with God, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why this is the most important celebration day in the world, because it celebrates the day in which Jesus Christ overturned everything. Not just death, but all the principalities of evil. Not just death, but everything that stood in the way of us being complete in God. Returning to Eden and to what God originally intended. Furthermore, if we go into the Scriptures, if you go through every book of the Bible you see Jesus Christ in there. And I'm going to very quickly go through this and then show you a, a video that I have shown before. I think it's been a few years back. For me, it's one of the most powerful testimonies to who Jesus Christ is. And uh, the video is, uh, or the recording is about 80 years old. And uh, the pastor who preaches this just lays it out for us who Jesus Christ is. And that's what I want to go out of here this morning uh, proclaiming Exactly who Jesus Christ is, who it is that was raised from that tomb and what it means for us. It wasn't just somebody who, uh, who just wanted to extend his life, but somebody who had died for our sins and now was defeating death on our behalf for us. But, but listen to this in the, in the New Testament. If you go to the book of Matthew, and there He is the promised Messiah. In Mark, He's the faithful servant. In Luke, He's the friend of sinners. In John, He's the son of God. In Acts, He's the ascended Lord. In Romans, He's the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, He's our righteousness. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, He's the God of all comfort. In Galatians, He's the Redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, He's the head of the church. And in Philippians, He's the all-sufficient Christ. Now, I could go on through every book, but the all-sufficient Christ, folks, He is sufficient for, for all of our needs. My life is in Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Him, but I have been raised with Him to new life. That is the promise of Scripture. That is the promise fulfilled By Jesus Christ. And I want us to, as we listen to this recording in just a moment, I want us to think about how are our lives centered in this life? Are our lives centered on ourselves, on our achievements, on on attaining something? We're not even sure what it is. All we know is that we want to find that one thing that makes us happy, that makes us feel like life is worth going another day for. You see, I thank God that when I was at the age of 10... And in the years leading up to that, as as it slowly filtered in and became true to me, that I understood that Jesus Christ was not just my Lord and Savior, but He was my all in all. And that every day of my life, despite all my faults and all my mistakes, Jesus Christ has won the battles for me. And I need not worry about what lies ahead. So let's listen uh, to this. uh, It's a three-minute recording.
2: The Bible says, My King is the King of the Jews. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the King of heaven. He's the King of glory. He's the King of kings. And He's the Lord of lords. That's my King. I I wonder, do you know him? (laughs) My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless look. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge, he's the wellspring of wisdom, he's the no way of deliverance, he's the pathway of peace, he's the roadway of righteousness, he's the highway of holiness, gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king.
0: Amen. Amen. I love that. Because you can't watch that or hear that or listen to that without knowing that that is the king that you want in your life. That is the only king I will ever need. It's the only one I ever need to know. I may not understand him. He may be incomprehensible. But his word tells me that he's enough. I pray today he is enough for you too. I pray today that if your faith has not been placed in him in this life that you will uh, make that decision. And I pray that this day, that you will discover new life on this Easter morning. Let's rise and stand together as Easter people and sing praise to Him. Now go in the peace of Christ and know this, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, that there is no one who can condemn us, for Jesus Christ has died for us, and more than that, He has been raised to life. And He is at the right hand of God, interceding for us as our King this day. Go in His peace, trusting in Him in all things. Amen. Amen.